Hello and welcome to the Idaho Reports podcast for Wednesday, February 5th. I'm Logan Finney. Joining me this week to discuss a bill on gestational agreements and surrogacy in Idaho is Representative Brooke Green from Boise and Nicole Williamson from a host of Possibility Surrogacy Agency. Thank you both for joining me this week. Thank you for the invitation. Yeah, thanks for having us. Uh, So Representative Green, you were one of the lead sponsors on this bill, um, but we're actually going to talk to Nicole first a little bit. Nicole, can you explain surrogacy and gestational carriers for me? And uh, of course, most people are familiar with the idea, but maybe not personally familiar with actually going through this whole process. So can you kind of explain at at a broad level, what is surrogacy and gestational carrier? Yeah, so surrogacy um, is, well, a gestational carrier is someone who carries for um, an intending parent who cannot carry themselves. Um, either they've had you know, lots of IVF issues, um, they're in, you know, infertility issues, um, and so a gestational carrier will, carrier will um, carry a child for the intending parent. At the end, the intending parent will get their child back. Okay, and so with a intending parent or a pair of intending parents and then the carrier um, where does an agency like yours fit into that process so typically once um, the intending parents have their embryos and they are ready to um, find a carrier they will come to our agency and then we will work to find a gestational carrier that matches with them um, and then we will connect them and then we help coordinate the rest of the process okay Um, And this is a question to both of you. Idaho is kind of seen as a hotspot for gestational carriers and for the surrogacy industry at large. Why do you think that is? I'll let you go first and then I'll add some some narrative to it. Um, I do think in Idaho, like we have a very healthy lifestyle. Lots of people are active. Um, We do have, you know, lots of younger generations. And so I think a lot of people do come here for that reason. You know, they see Idaho as a very, place. Also, um, I feel Idaho is um, less expensive than other states. And these families that are that are doing this process, they're not rich. They're they're normal families. You know, some of them have to take out second mortgages and get loans. And so going to a state where it isn't as expensive really helps them be able to complete their family. And I think the other perspective that makes Idaho such an attractive location for folks to come to because of surrogacy is we actually have no laws on the books pertaining to surrogacy in general. And so as a result of that, when they're looking to be able to find a state that is uh, very responsive to the opportunity to do surrogacy, you know, they look to states that essentially has no regulation, right? There's no expectations of, you know, of the providers or the agencies and essentially the carriers. And so by just default, right you have this attractiveness associated with less regulation and uh, quite frankly there's some regulation I think is important I think this is the one that um, hits the nail you know the nail on the head so sure and so when it comes to this legislation that the governor has signed into law and is now on the books here in Idaho what does HB 264 actually change what sort of gaps did you see that needed filled certainly well originally there's nothing so we had no um, statutory obligation pertaining to surrogacy or the the contracts and so essentially what we've done is we've taken best practices and we've codified them into law and I, I highlight that because the folks in the agencies who work in this field um, they are they are very compassionate they want to ensure that these families have opportunities to have these little babies but what we want to do is make sure that we provide provisions that protect everyone from the carrier to the intended parents. Um, Certainly we wanted to make sure that 
everything is, um, you know, to the up and up, essentially, that there is a contract in place, because right now there is no statute on the books that requires there to be a contract between the intended parents as well as the carrier. Um, we want to make sure that the carriers are the right fit, right? So if they're out there recruiting carriers, that they aren't, aren't necessarily on um, government assistance, right? We, we want to make sure that the carriers don't be, aren't, they're vulnerable, and we want to make sure that they are not to, taken advantage of essentially, and so that's one of the other provisions. We also took into account, and one I think that most people testified in in, um, in committee was about this adopting your child after the fact. We needed to set, we needed to take care of that because when parents go through this process, they have already have gone through um, so much to get to this point, and oftentimes this is the last opportunity to have a baby, and so we took that provision out. And I'll speak to that later, I think, in our questioning, but it really was just being able to provide and codify best practices that the industry is already using, codifying it into state statute so everybody's on the same playing field and uh, we're ensuring that everybody is protected. Sure. Nicole, can you tell me a little bit more about that? Um, before this bill, even if it wasn't required that there be a contractor agreement, that's still what the industry was doing. So can you talk to me about what these sort of contracts and agreements generally look like and uh, touch on that um, adoption factor, <laughs> because that, I think, seemed to get the most attention from lawmakers. Yeah, I mean, before we did have GC agreements, um, and they were in place, I think um, some of the things that were added, you know, for example, is the the gestational carrier and the intended parents have to have separate counsel. Um, that's a huge one. That is best practices. Um, it probably isn't used in all you know agencies or independent carriers, and now um, it will be required, which I think is great because you know each each individual, you know, that is going through a contract process needs to have their own representation to make sure that they are, you know, represented and, and secure. Um, as far as the adoption piece, um, I, I'll be honest, um, like many of the women have said, it was like a, a punch in the gut afterwards. Um, they go through many years and rounds of IVF that, you know, fails or doesn't take. And they get to this point where they decide they have to allow another woman to carry their child. Um, and then afterwards, they have to go to court and be asked questions like, how will you, um, how will you provide daycare? And, this, and the gestational carrier actually gets asked, do you think they will be a fit parent? I mean, you go into this with such intention. And then to be asked those questions afterward, it's very awkward. Um, and it's, it's kind of heartbreaking because you have this whole process and you get to the end and you just want this joyous time and this joyous moment and you have to go to court. Um, so I think this new law will help so much in, in that piece of, um, it'll allow them just to enjoy the end piece of, of the whole process. You know, they've worked so hard to get there. Um, well, and I'll add to that. And you know, when you when they go through that process, and it's such an invasive process, nonetheless. Well, they get to court, and on that birth certificate is the father and the gestational carrier. Right. Can you go into that, <laughs> that detail a little bit more so, for me? Yeah. In the eyes of Idaho, who are quote unquote the parents. Here. Yes. So essentially, and this is actually the catalyst behind all of this is is one um, couple I knew who were friends of mine told me this story, how they had to go to court, and I was like, what? So what essentially how it works is on the birth certificate, it's the gestational carrier and the father. 
Because in Idaho, um, the mother is perceived to be the one who gives birth, right? Mm -hmm. And so thus, the gestational carriers on the birth certificate with the father, they go to court, and the gestational carrier has to give up parental rights to this child that's not even biologically theirs. And then the mother has to justify to a judge why she would be a good parent to her own biological child. And then she has to adopt back her own child. And the reason why this is the case is because we have no surrogacy laws on the books. There was no expectations on how this process plays out. And thus, the judges at the time took what was already in existence, the adoption process, and applied it to this. This is an adoption. This is their own biological children. And so this law, if I were to say what is probably the most impactful change we can make to families in Idaho who go through this process, it's changing that because they should not have to go to court to justify why you're going to be a good parent to your own biological child. Sure. So up until now, the closest analog the courts had would be like a step parent adopting a child is kind of Ex the idea. Exactly. And that's what they, they took that process and they applied it here. And so now that this law has been signed into law and things are changed, Nicole, can you tell me how that changes the agreements process between uh, the agency, the carrier, the intended parents. So how is it, how is it gonna be different now? Um, it's actually pretty amazing. So um, basically at the beginning, you know, when they, when they do make that gestational carry agreement and everybody signs it, afterwards they will have it validated through the courts. Once it's validated, um, that basically means that the intending parents' names will go on the birth certificate at time of delivery. Which is awesome. So they don't have to go through the whole process of the surrogate relinquishing her rights. Um, it's already done. And so intending parents are going to feel so much more comfortable and confident knowing that, that they are going to be listed as the parents. Um, I think as far, I mean, that's really the big key thing here. Yeah. Um, you know, there's a few other processes that will, you know, kind of come throughout. But overall, I mean, that is a huge change. Huge. And so do you think this will make it easier for uh, gestational carriers and the people who need their services here in Idaho? Absolutely. I mean, we are considered pre-birth now, mm -hmm. um, which just means rather than signing, you know, rights away after delivery, they, they will sign them before. Um, and I think that just makes intending parents feel more confident. Um, I think it makes surrogates you know, gestational carriers feel a lot more comfortable mm -hmm. because they don't want to go to court afterwards and sign away the rights because they felt like they never had rights to begin with. It was never their child, mm -hmm. you know? And I mean, to add to that, the, the surrogate's husband actually just signs a form at the hospital relinquishing his rights at delivery. So now, I mean, I feel like it's a little bit more even like- I didn't even think of the surrogate's partner. Yeah, <laughs> and they just signed a piece of paper. So and he, so- He's presumed the father at time of delivery because they're married at time of delivery. So he just signs a form that says I relinquish my rights and it's done. So now it's it's great because it's just done in the very beginning. Yeah. Everything's done. So it's like the end is just gonna be this amazing experience. They I think. get to leave the hospital with their baby in tow. They don't have any more expectations. And I think one of the other things that this does for the um, folks who participate in this field is it 
creates expectations. Um, whereas beforehand, there wasn't expectations of how the process would play out. Now, if they went through an agency who was um, following best practices, then certainly that was that was how their pro their experience and their journey ended up being. But for in some cases that didn't necessarily follow those processes or those best practices, now there's an expectation and essentially protects everyone. Yeah, I sure. agree. Because there's a difference whether you're going through an agency like yours, Nicole, or there are just independent gestational carriers, correct? Absolutely, yeah. So, I mean, independents, they're not represented by an agency. So, they don't have those processes in place um, previously. You know, there was no really process in place. So, they could just kind of maneuver how they wanted to and make it how they wanted. Now, with this new law, I mean, there are processes in place. There are standards. There are practices that have to be done. Um, so overall, I think it will protect everybody involved. Great. Um, and Representative Green, I wanted to ask you a little bit about the politics of this. This was a bipartisan effort. You're not the only sponsor on it. What were those conversations with your GOP colleagues like in getting this to the governor's desk? Well, um, I will say I, I really appreciate my colleagues coming on board. Representative Healy and Representative Skog were both um, two Republican colleagues who came on board in support and as co-sponsors. And, you know, their participation was incredibly important. You know, uh, Representative Skog is able to look through things as the lens, because uh, he's an attorney, through the lens of an attorney. And so he was able to go through and make sure that the what we were putting in place was a very best practices, protected everyone, but he was able to also identify opportunities that needed to be edited or changed. You know, uh, Representative Healy was a nurse, and so her experience, and she was a pediatric nurse, and so she too brought a different lens to the table, and she was able to look at this as how do we ensure the protection of both the babies and the moms as they go through this process. Um, it is a bipartisan, and, and quite frankly, the bills that are bipartisan, in my opinion, are the best, because they're ensuring that we're providing for for all of our constituents, regardless what political aisle you belong to. And then, you know, also to, to that point, um, Representative Skog is incredibly conservative. And so he was able to also, because of that conservative view that he has, and Representative Healy as well, um, they were able to also address some of the other concerns that were brought up through this process. You know, Representative Skog did this, that this is a pro-life bill. And essentially it is. If we're taking into account ensuring that our uh, babies are taken care of and that we're putting all the provisions in to ensure that they have the best path forward in their families, then yeah, it's a pro-life bill. And so all of that, and that bipartisan nature really, in my opinion, made this a great success, especially when we started to get opposition to this bill. Right. And now I want to talk a little bit about that opposition, because there's a number of things this bill does not do, does not address. And one of the things in particular I heard on the floor was IVF, or in vitro fertilization. Um, can you tell me about those concerns and, and how this is different or how this doesn't address that? Yes, and we did get some pushback from some, some pro-life groups pertaining to the use of IVF. Now, to be able to get to surrogacy, um, you have to go through the IVF process. And you know, we actually spell that out within the bill itself, that you got through to surrogacy because you participated in the IVF or reproductive medicine um, approach. And we did have some reproductive medicine um, attorneys and folks who participated in the creation of this law to ensure that we were covering all of our bases. And essentially what was happening on the floor and in the debates that you heard were people were really concerned about the IVF. Um, there is, in the pro-life movement, there is a lot of folks who believe that uh, 
IVF and the process of creating embryos is actually abortion. And so um, especially if they have to, through that process, eliminate an embryo because it's not viable, they consider that abortion. And so we heard a lot about that on the floor in opposition to this. Um, and so what I think it also highlights is a glimpse of what we can expect, especially in a state um, that has several very strict abortion laws on the books. Their debate on the floor told me, okay, I can anticipate in the future there's going to be some additional legislation to address it. And I will tell you, as a representative, um, I will, it, it, with my colleagues, uh, we will fight any attempt as it pertains to um, restricting the use of IVF and, you know, certainly restricting the use of reproductive medicine because people want families. People want to bring children into the world. They want to have what many other families have. And to many, this is their last opportunity. Either IVF is their last opportunity or surrogacy. And so I'm going to protect um, the right for families to bring children into this world um, at you know whatever process that looks like. And in this case, I think what we'll see in the future is some legislation to challenge that. And I will stand up in opposition, great opposition to that. And Nicole, I want to be clear here that um, gestational carrier agencies like yours, you're not part of the fertility medicine and that sort of laboratory work, correct? You just help get these people connected? Correct. We are completely separate um, entities and businesses. Um, yeah, the, you know, we are partners like community partners with the clinics as far as, you know, we work with them, we coordinate with them, um, but the, the fertility clinic does their job and, you know, works with the intending parents and all of that, and they do all the medical piece, and then we actually just do the coordination piece. So we're, we're separate, but, you know. But essential. Yes. Incredibly essential. Absolutely. And so as lawmakers have their eye on, I guess, not just surrogacy, but let's call it the fertility arena moving forward next session, uh, what do you think is important for Representative Green and her fellow lawmakers to have in mind as they consider tweaks next year? Um, <laughs> Don't. <laughs> I think it's really important to remember that um, IVF, like infertility, doesn't affect just a couple people. It affects many people. And as we saw, all of those people that came down and spoke to the committees and testified and gave their, their information, these are normal people that live among our community that struggled to have their own family. And like, like Representative Brooks said, like, all they want is a family, just like we want a family. Like that's what they want. And we're here to help them get it. Um, we're very compassionate and that's what we wanna do. We wanna help them have their family. That's why we do our jobs. So I think it's really important to remember like, this isn't just a one off or it isn't like, you know, these rich people that just come in and use these, um, use these um, facilities and these, you know, IVF clinics. These are regular, normal people among us all the time that just struggle. And all they want is to have what we have is families. And we shouldn't get in the way of it. We really should give them an avenue to be successful in bringing home their little babies. And um, I, it was disheartening to hear my colleagues you know, challenge 
the process in which people have to go through and, you know, give us a glimpse of what to expect in the future. I will tell you amongst my colleagues and amongst other legislators and policymakers, um, I don't necessarily believe there's any stomach to restrict the use of fertility treatments um, in Idaho. We recognize that if we are a pro-life you know, state, then we probably should promote the ability for people to actually get access to these facilities and to bring these babies into the world. It's an incredibly expensive process, and maybe we should start there if we're going to talk about future legislation. Yeah, nobody chooses to have infertility issues. That's what they're unfortunately given. So um, I think that we need to be there to support them and help them. I mean, if, if they had another avenue, they would absolutely go that way. This is really a last avenue, and nobody wants to spend hundreds of thousands of dollars to go through this process. But they're so driven because they want a family, they do this. So I think that's what we need to be supporting. All right. Well, Nicole Williamson with a host of possibilities and Democratic Representative Brooke Green from Boise. Thank you both so much for your time this week. Thank you so much for coming and visiting with you. We appreciate it. Yeah. Presentation of Idaho Reports on Idaho Public Television is made possible through the generous support of the Laura Moore Cunningham Foundation, committed to fulfilling the Moore and Bettis family legacy of building the great state of Idaho. By the Friends of Idaho Public Television and by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Hi, I'm Marcia Franklin, the producer and host of Dialogue. For more than 25 years, we've been bringing you conversations that matter. More than 150 of those conversations are with writers, and now you can take them with you wherever you go, while you're walking, around the house, or in the car. Just search for Dialogue with Marcia Franklin on Apple Podcasts and other podcast platforms, and remember to subscribe so that new shows download automatically. Enjoy.